you're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Suzanne Davis about her new novel, Gravity Hill. Suzanne has an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop. She's published numerous stories in American short fiction, Notre Dame Review, and other literary journals, and she also has another short story collection out titled The Appointed Hour. Gravity Hill, the book we'll be discussing today, was the runner-up in the Madville Blue Moon Novel Competition. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good. Well, look, let's start off with a, a general question about writing um, before we turn to the specifics in the novel. Do you, and, and use Gravity Hill as an example, did you outline before you started writing, or did you just start with a few concepts and let it develop from there? Well, uh, I... I did not start with an outline. <laughs> I'm much more of a character writer in general, and so the character Jordan came to me really in a sort of a scene that just is, was very visual, and I wrote that scene, which became a short story, which became the first chapter in the novel, and then it was about following this character to understand what was going on and why she was uh, feeling the way she was feeling. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about Gravity Hill. In the novel, Jordan, you just mentioned Jordan, Jordan Hawkins, the main character, lives with her parents uh, on a working farm with livestock. And I couldn't help but notice when I was reading your bio that you share a similar upbringing with Jordan Hawkins. Is that right? Yes, it's true. I am the daughter of six generations of dairy farmers here in Connecticut and grew up on a family farm still run by my, my brother. My dad just passed recently. Mm. So you have firsthand knowledge of some of the things that frustrate Jordan <laughs> um, well, on the true. farm. Yes? <laughs> All right. Well, the novel has several intersecting stories, at least as I read it, and one of those is the death of Jordan's brother. Clay on Gravity Hill in an apparent car wreck of some type. Is that uh, autobiographical, or are you drawing from something that happened in your own life? No. Well, yes and no, okay. I guess. Gravity Hill is a real place in Sterling, Connecticut. There are about 200 places in the country that are sort of gravitational uh, anomalies, and Gravity Hill in Sterling, Connecticut is one of them. That is my hometown, and it forms the back backbone of the fictional town, um, Asheville. So the power of Gravity Hill for the town and for the people in this story is palpable, mm -hmm. um, sort of mythic, I guess. So that part is true. And but the and I do have a brother, um, beloved who passed, and um, his his struggles in life seem to be similar, I guess, to some of Clay's. But the farm family and those the realities, the pressures they deal with, I. I think of as kind of a compilation of what many farm families in rural America face today. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about Gravity Hill because I did a little research to find out that it, that it is a real hill and it is somewhat unique. And I'm going to ask you to read about it in just a second. But let me ask you this. You know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But as I read the book, it seemed to me that the hill is in a way a metaphor for parts of the story. Um, did, is that something you intended or am I just one of those folks finding something that maybe you didn't intend? No, you are absolutely right, and I do think of the hill as a metaphor for parts of the story. Yeah, and the river as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, can I get you to read uh, an excerpt, uh, maybe, from the book uh, for us? I would love to. So I will read to you a short excerpt from the uh, beginning... near the beginning of the book where Jordan goes to Gravity Hill for the first time after her brother's death. I think everything from this is pretty clear, except perhaps the name of her brother was Clay. Okay. Jordan found the accident site between the bridge and the bottom of Gravity Hill, the place where Clay had died. She was on her way home from work, and having avoided it since Clay's death, She wanted to sit for a while by the river and hear the water. Almost every first date in town started or ended at Gravity Hill. The hill wasn't really a hill at all, if you believe the scientist. Rather, an optical illusion of a hill created by a false horizon, a slight downhill slope that appeared to be an uphill slope. But it didn't feel like an illusion to Jordan. Three white crosses glowed in the dark and bunches of dead flowers lay in a heap. In one hand, Jordan carried a warm beer, and in the other, a pack of peanuts. The moon made a silver path across the Quanduck's surface. The peanut shells made no sound as they fell away from her hand and floated like tiny boats. She and Clay loved the river. All the kids did. From downriver, a light plunged out and shone on the water. Then there was a splash, and a bobber surfaced and floated. Often there were fishermen at night shining trout, the beam of flashlight illuminating the fish. She wanted to be alone, and at the same time, it wasn't helping her find the comfort and strength she was seeking. She broke more peanuts and flung the shells in the bushes out of courtesy to the fishermen. You stupid-ass clay. She removed the long-sleeved flannel shirt that she wore at the glass factory to protect her arms from the hot bottles and tossed it aside. The night was warm, and the air felt good against her skin. Underneath, she wore a plain white T-shirt, which had come untucked from her jeans. The jeans were stiff and uncomfortable, one of the several pairs she'd bought for the factory. She took off her steel-toed work boots and socks, tossed them near the flannel shirt, and sunk her toes into the water. The light of the fishermen moved closer upstream, but Jordan heard no sound until a fish broke the surface with a splash. Then she saw the line play like silver thread being pulled through the water, and a moment later a trout arced in the air, gleaming in the light as the fishermen pulled it to shore. The burn mark from the accident started high up on the trunk of the oak tree, which towered above all the others. There was no undergrowth there. It would have burned away in the fire. There was a rustling in the brush. Jordan thought it was probably a deer who, smelling her, would now skirt around the clearing. She watched the spot, trying to catch a glimpse of it when the fishermen observed. 
emerged into the clearing. That's wonderful. You know, this book is so well written, and I'm gonna, I want to ask you a question. One of the things that makes a good story is universal themes, you know, things that, that people can identify with. And one of the ones in this story clearly circle, circles around the loss of her brother, uh, Clay. And Jordan, yes. Jordan is having a bit of an identity crisis as a result, isn't she? Yes, she really did. Uh, she loved her brother very much, and um, it, her she had a very clear plan for her life, even though she was young and had always um, had that sense of herself um, reinforced by the community around her. But her very close relationship with her brother was somewhat um, stressed by the expectations that their father put on Clay, and his death really cracks open for her and for the family and ultimately for the town a kind of identity crisis and a challenge to um, bring to the surface secrets and resentments that have been under the surface for decades. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, one of the other universal themes, at least for me, that struck me was you make the point very well done through the characters, through the dialogue, and especially as it relates to Jordan, that we sometimes rely on people without necessarily realizing how much we've relied on them. And that seemed to be true for Jordan as it related to her brother, Clay, right? It's true because, interestingly, we only, you know, the story opens and Clay is gone. But for me, Clay is a very palpable and real character in the story. And his love is infusing all of the uh, kind of the, I would say, the pure motivations for the characters as they try to reorient themselves toward love. Yeah. Now, one of the characters that appears in the book is a fellow named Wynn, and he is related to one of the boys who died in the car wreck with Clay. Um, <laughs> Wynn and Jordan have a relationship at some point. Now, mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think uh, Wynn represents to Jordan? Well, it's interesting because when Wynn uh, arrived on the scene, he was not someone who I had originally like plotted out as a character, but he arrived and I understood that he was inviting me to try to understand an aspect of how it is that we, and I think for Jordan, he becomes this, a symbol of both how to grieve and um, a kind of resilience um, against his own mistakes from the past and embracing love in his present world. Yeah, he's not a perfect character, and of course yeah. those are the best characters, but you mentioned something, so I have to ask you this. You know, writers will sometimes say to me that if they create good characters, the characters actually help write the story. And yeah. it, did you find that to be your experience when you were writing Gravity Hill? I did, because <clears throat> when I first started this story, as I mentioned, it was Jordan who came to me, and she was really angry, and I had 
trouble with her as a character because I was trying to understand where that anger came from and what did it mean on the page in in a dramatic fashion in this story. And as the people from the town uh, started to populate the story, I understood the rich fabric of their history, their connections, the things that were motivating them in the present that touched upon the wounds of their past and how those things had to come to the surface in order to allow them some sort of way forward in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's come back to Wynn for a second. I couldn't help but notice, and maybe this because I was uh, a good Catholic boy growing up, that <laughs> he lived in Purgatory, Maine, now, yeah. which is an actual town. Um, mm-hmm. Now, of course, in Catholicism, not to get too far down that rabbit hole, sinners go mm-hmm. to purgatory to expi- expiate their sins. Did mm-hmm. you pick that town for the, that purpose, for that name? Because it seemed to fit to me. I really did. And um, you're such an astute reader. Yes, I did. And one of the things I loved growing up was Dante, uh-huh. um, these Inferno and the and Purgatory. Well, it's a word we hardly ever use anymore, I guess, but it has a concept that's just so rich with so many opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly fit with the character of Wynne as you described him. Um, So I I always ask uh, writers about their characters in different ways, and here's one for you. So when people have finished the book, should we be pulling for Wynne and Jordan to make it? (laughs) Well, I... Well, can I ask you, do you feel like you want to pull for them at the end when you're finished? Yes, but I, but I also see obstacles. Does that, yeah, right? Does that make I sense? Know. And I think that's on purpose. I mean, you did a really good job of that, I thought. Um, yeah. you know, this is not, you know, uh, a storybook uh, romance. So, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. There is another unique couple in the book, the Pascals. Um, mm-hmm. who it seemed to me, at least, were very Zen or Buddhist in their advice to Jordan as she's kind of struggling with um, with all the different things that, that she's dealing with. And at one point they tell her, quote, a lifetime of negative belief can be hard to overcome, close quote. And then at another point they tell her, quote, things get built up from the brokenness if you're open to it, close quote. What are you drawing on for the creation of this couple and their philosophy? Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I will say that there have been people in my life maybe illuminating the truths of both of those quotes, which I, well, I'm so, it's so, it's a gift to me to be able to talk about the story in this way. And it seemed to me that that people who, um, who I've known who've who struggled and and seemed to be ensnared, let's say, by the uh, things that may have hurt them, or and then become negative beliefs within them, um, are quite in contrast to some others who I have known who have been able to somehow be a container for those experiences in a way that um, have 
created greater opportunities for love in the world, that this simply people just radiating a kind of joy, even in the midst of it. And I have initially found those things perhaps to be challenging, but challenging in the kind of way that you ingest a nugget and sort of keep, um, you know, trying to trying to digest it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the Pascals were a really important couple in this story for being able to show the way forward. Well, you know, a couple of thoughts. I mean, they're wonderful characters, and they, they bring an aspect of philosophy to the story that really works. But when you started writing the story, you had your vision of Jordan. Did you, did you know anything about the Pascals, or did they show up later on? In your no, they vision? showed up. Okay. And they showed up through their daughter, uh, who had been one of her best friends yeah. in grade school. Yeah, are, are you? It's interesting. I had a, an author in the studio one time who said, "Mike, before I put pen to paper, I live with my characters for about a year." Do you find yourself, you know, during the course of a day, kind of living with your characters, thinking about what they're thinking and what they're going through? Oh, absolutely. The this story. Um, you know, had took a number of years to write, and each time I wrote the first draft, and it didn't, it just didn't quite resonate yet. And I started writing the second draft, and each time it was Jordan sort of tapping me on the shoulder and sort of inviting me back to the story. And then the characters, the ancillary characters, wanting their own stories to be heard, and then I was living with them all the time, trying to pay attention. Yeah. Well, in the novel, there are some surprises surprises that we learn about, uh, some of the characters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, they're all kind of all too human and have made mistakes. And I talked on this, I touched on this briefly with you, but I didn't ask you your opinion. Do you find that flawed characters are more interesting than the, the so-called perfect ones? And if so, how do you go about deciding what flaws or what imperfections to give to a character? Hmm. Well, you know, I will say I do find flawed characters more interesting than perfect ones, even though in real life, um, it's, it's always easier to perhaps deal with uh, with people who are not so fundamentally flawed, although we all are flawed. So even as I say that, I have to cancel myself because yeah. it's not true. Mm-hmm. And honestly, for me, it's um, when when people are willing to sort of acknowledge their flaws and we get to see the deep humanity, I would say that those are the flaws in characters that interest me. And so those are the ones that I find myself curious about Mm -hmm. in the characters and following because because I never know then how it's going to turn out. I sort of have to sit with with the characters and their interactions with each other to understand um, it, what is possible in the realm of that world and their humanity. Yeah. Now, we don't want to give away any of the endings in that, but, I, you know, I, yeah. did, I, I did find that um, one of the themes in the story is about forgiveness, um, yeah. not only of others, which Jordan has to wrestle with, but, but also of oneself. Is that something you also intended? 
Yes, I think um, in many ways that that I've heard others say, and I often find it to be true, that all forgiveness is self-forgiveness, that mm. some of the things that I, and that even Jordan um, in this story has the hardest time forgiving are the things that originate with herself, but it takes a while to kind of follow the thread back to it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a, a general question. Um, readers will sometimes uh, find things in a book that the author didn't intend or wasn't uh, kind of on your radar. Have you mm-hmm. had that happen with Gravity Hill yet? I know it hasn't been out long, but have you had that happen with Gravity Hill or perhaps with your other writings where a reader that will get to you and say something that they got out of the book and you think, goodness, I, I, I wasn't even thinking of that? Um, you know, with Gravity Hill, I haven't had that. Actually, I did have that one person read the book and wrote something that I thought was just amazingly profound that I had not (laughs) thought about. And that was, um, she was talking about the river and how there are places that are, that are sort of um, sacred places where in the world or in nature or wherever we consider special places that allow us to sort to open up the experience, kind of a portal to our understanding um, of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't, you know, I had not thought to put into those kind of words that experience. Wow. Well, okay. Writers will sometimes tell me that they write just for themselves. Some will write to make a political or a social point, and I guess others will do it just for the money. What motivates you to write? This isn't your first uh, time writing. I know this is a, this mm-hmm. is a, uh, I think this is your first novel, full-length novel, yeah. correct? All right. What motivates you to write? Hmm. Well, I guess that the maybe two things, the mm-hmm. pure joy of creation and the feeling of that when I'm writing, and I'll say true, even though when I use that word, I don't mean like a black and white truth, but kind of in a vein of what feels like it's touching into the depths of humanity. It feels both like a calling and a joy and a service all wrapped in one. So I hope that the things that I write help illuminate and help other people, readers, touch mm-hmm. stories um, in that in that fashion. Do you find that when you write, um, even when you're writing fiction, that you learn things about yourself that you didn't otherwise know? Yes. I think, Isn't that for amazing? example, with... Yeah, yeah. Go, ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I'm always amazed by this. Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I will say that after I got done... Um, writing this book, and I won't, I won't give anything away. But right. when I wrote that last scene, um, I, as I mentioned to you, my brother had passed, mm-hmm. and it had not occurred to me that the thing that Jordan, um, you know, really seeks and 
sort of finds in that last scene was the thing that I so needed for myself. Ah, okay. Well, you know, separate and apart from that, tell me if this makes sense. I've, I've often wondered that one of the reasons people find things about themselves, find out things about themselves when they're writing, even fiction, is because you've put yourself into the space of this character and you then experience the emotions and the thinkings of this character that you might not otherwise have experienced in your daily life. Does that make any sense? It does. It makes so much sense. You know, I didn't, I didn't really understand, I mentioned this, why Jordan was so angry when I started writing. Mm-hmm. But over the period of time that I was writing the book, I, I understood much more as my, I feel as though I was invited into a more clear seeing about, again, some of the things that um, folks in rural America struggle with. And um, just, you know, just um, just a lot of those sorts of challenges between the obligations and um, deeply held dreams and when those two things don't line up and injustices. You know, we've we haven't talked about the environmental subplot, but that that's a big part of the book for me, mm-hmm. which is based on something real, uh, a super fun site in Sterling, Connecticut. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's not, I want to make sure this is clear for listeners, because at least as a reader, I don't live in a rural area, but the the themes are universal. It doesn't, I don't have to live in a rural area to, to understand the emotions and the various things that are set forth in the book. Um, although I understand what you're saying, that it does resonate as it relates to that. Um, you did mention the environmental aspect, and so let me see if I can end with that. Um, mm-hmm. This is another aspect, uh, another pressure, if you will, uh, on farmers, uh, and it certainly is in, in this particular story. And I think you started to allude to the fact that there's some real-life basis for this. Yes, and so thank you for saying what you said, though, Mike, because it's true, I think that this, and my hope is that this story um, it doesn't feel exclusively relatable only to people in from rural areas. I think that the kind of sitting with characters and and takes one to the depth, as you mentioned, of those universal human truths. Um, and for the environmental subplot, there's I, w- I won't. It, it's woven into. The secrets and the decades of things that have gone on in the town that some of the characters have been involved with, and um, and also touch upon the the boy's death and the mystery of what really happened mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let me. I, I do actually have a couple more seconds here, and so I do. In light of what's going on across the country, sometimes I'll ask questions that are. Um, maybe cross over into political, but they relate to writing. Um, Mm -hmm. In light of all the book bannings we're seeing around the country, have you ever felt any restrictions uh, when you write or concerns about what you write? You know, that is a really good question. And uh, I have thought, given the two Supreme Court decisions of the spring, uh, one on Roe v. Wade and one on the environment, uh, that how this book would have been different if it had been written 
after those decisions yeah. and how I was more free to explore the character's choices um, in the time frame before those decisions were made. I got mm-hmm. you. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been speaking with author Suzanne Davis about her new novel, Gravity Hill. Folks, this is a book, at least from my perspective, that goes below the veneer of everyday living into that hardwood, enjoyable story all the way around, and it'll cause you to think a bit, too. Suzanne, is there a website or a, a social media site that folks can go to to learn more about yourself and more about the book? Yes, so my website is the www Suzanne with an S, so S U S A N N E Davis dot com. And you can learn more about the book there. It's got links um, to sites to buy the book and also to sign up for my newsletter uh, if people want to get in touch. I've got to do that. Suzanne, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.